You're listening to the Quality of Love Podcast. Your home for all things love, relationship, and mental health. Hosted by nationally certified life and relationship coach, Tyrone Dixon. Sit back, relax, and get tips on creating the life you deserve without wasting any more time. Welcome to the Quality of Love podcast. I am your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of Arosu Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. You guys have made it to another Wednesday, so that means we have another question and answer episode set up and ready to go for you guys. Thank you to anyone who's gotten back to me about the insight from a former narcissist section. I've been getting some really, really good feedback from that section. I've also been getting a lot of a lot more questions. Narcissism is a, a hot topic nowadays, and I'm very, very happy that you guys are receptive to what I'm saying and also open to giving me the opportunity to answer questions about narcissism. Today's quote of the day comes from an anonymous source and it reads, self-criticism works if it leads to self-correction. Self-validation works if it leads to self-growth. Once again, that's an anonymous quote and it reads, self-criticism works if it leads to self-correction. Self-validation works if it leads to self-growth. And this quote actually recently made my book of quotes that I share with you guys typically on a weekly basis because over the weekend, something happened that I had not experienced in a very, very long time. And what it was is I started to doubt myself um, and I was being very, very self-critical and uh, it was some personal situations, so I won't get into it in great detail, but just know that, that I found myself in a very unique spot, whereas I started to doubt some of my abilities and doubt some of the things that I was doing and that hadn't happened in years. Like it's been years since I've doubted anything that I've done or doubted any of my actions and behaviors. And just to be frank with you guys, I was at an emotionally low spot. But thank God I have people in my corner to give me very, very raw and authentic perspective. First person, of course, being my wife, Ivana, I love you, baby. And I thank you for keeping my head on straight when things are going awry. And when I can't think for myself, just being that additional support to provide a little bit more clarity to situations. And then I also reached out to one of my very, very good friends on Sunday and him and I had a conversation and the gist of the conversation kind of went along the lines of that you, you expect greatness out of yourself. So when you don't measure up to those things, you can be extremely self-critical and there's there's a fine line, right? So you want to find that balance. And he kind of, he not even kind of, he really, really helped me see um, that there can be some advantages to self-criticism. Like I just said, as long as it leads to that, that self-growth and the validation of self, it's not bad. But when you are overly critical of yourself and it starts to harm you and starts to harm the way you're moving and the way you're reacting or interacting with people, then that's when some of that stuff isn't healthy, right? So my new journey for you guys is to to find the balance of my competitiveness and my my wantingness to be great and balance that out with understanding that there are shortcomings on this journey in life. Question number one, should I tell my boyfriend I am feeling insecure or keep it to myself? 
Once again, that question is, should I tell my boyfriend I am feeling insecure or keep it to myself? I think you should tell him. Um, unfortunately, a lot of men, myself included, we tend to be absent minded from time to time and we don't pick up on those small things. And when you when it comes to insecurity, from what I've seen, women tend to overtly show that in their behavior, whether that's like shooting me a, a, a side look or like making a sound like hmm, or something along those lines. It's it's very, very difficult to hide your insecurities as a woman, especially if they've been around for a long time. So I, I would invite you to have a conversation with him about them and then do not assume that he's going to be somebody who automatically picks up on the fact that you're insecure about something. You may have to remind him a couple of times, hey, this makes me insecure when you do this or when you stare at women, for example, that makes me feel insecure. Sorry, you might have to remind him a couple of times, like I just said, but ultimately you certainly want to tell him that because he's probably number one, unaware, and two, he's noticing those little looks that you're shooting him and the little attitudes that you're giving him as well. There's also an even more serious side to you expressing to him that you're insecure. The fact that he's your boyfriend, he's someone you should be able to confide in no matter what it is that you want to discuss. If he's not receptive to that, that's probably a good indicator that he may not be the one for you in order to have a lasting or long-term relationship with. So two folds. Number one, if you think you're hiding your insecurities um, through not saying it, you're probably expressing it through your behavior. And number two, that is your boyfriend. So understand that he's in your life to help you with situations and feelings. And if you're feeling insecure, he should be the guy you're able to go to and kind of get your spirit boosted up or at least bounce some ideas or ways in which you can work on your insecurities and how he can help. Question number two, my boyfriend and I have been dating for a year and seven months and I care for him deeply, but I don't know how to show affection very well. And I want him to know that I love him very much, but I am unsure how to do it. What do I need to do? Once again, that question is my boyfriend and I have been together for a year and seven months, excuse me, and I care for him deeply, but I don't know how to show affection very well. And I want him to know I love him very much, but I am unsure how to do that. What do I need to do? I think for you, um, if this is your first kind of real serious relationship, you should have a conversation with him and let him know that this is new charted territory for you and you do love him and care for him very much. So what are some things you can do that can show that you love and care for him very much? Or I always go I, what I refer to as the sneak peeks in relationships. So I, I tend to get into situations in which um, when I'm working either one on one or in a group setting in which people are like, hey, Tyrone, tell me how I can make my partner happy without making without asking to make my partner happy, which you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. So no judgment or no shade coming from this way. Just pay attention to some of his behaviors. Right. So if he's watching the football game, for example, on Sunday, which a lot of men do, if he's watching the football game or basketball game or any sport, that is notice how he engages with that sport. Right. If he's someone that enjoys drinking beer, how often is he getting up and going to the fridge to get a beer? Right. If he's someone that enjoys going out for a smoke in between quarters or in between halves, start to pay attention to those little things 
and you will be amazed at how appreciative men are just for those little things, right? So the fact that he didn't have to go up and get up, excuse me, and miss a play to get a beer and you were there to get him beer or the fact that you went over the top to cook him a dinner or make him snacks for the game, right? So all of those little things that we don't think of a lot as men, we just think of it as, oh, well, got to get up and get a beer. I might miss a play or I might miss what's going on the next sequence of plays. We just get up and do it. If you can kind of provide that buffer for him and be the person that grabs his beer and not, please don't think I'm saying this and in an effort to make you a slave or make you extremely submissive. This is something that you do maybe a couple of times a week. It isn't something that you have to do every day, but just Look for the little things that you can pick up on in routine. Like I said, that that going to get him a beer or having him, him snacks ready during a game, that's always a big one for men. Huge for me. Um, it's something that I have done for me. And it's just, it's one of those things where we don't think about it as men, but we're so, so appreciative of you of that. And it's also an opportunity for you. Here's some, some free game. Here's some inside information. It's an opportunity for you to, um, kind of assert yourself and, and get him at a point where he's vulnerable and have difficult conversations and loving conversations as well. Question number three. Should I expect my girlfriend to fix her problems? Once again, that question is, should I expect my girlfriend to fix her problems? I think that's a complicated question to give an answer to. Um, it depends on how deep the issues are, right? So if we're talking about severe depression, anxiety, um, thoughts of suicide, maybe cutting herself, that's something in which I would invite you to encourage her to seek professional help. When we're talking about smaller things like insecurities or um, issues with you hanging out with your friends or family members, things along those lines, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, expect her to fix any problems. Right. Because these could be some behaviors or problems that's gone on for long periods of time. So to just expect someone to overnight be able to kick these behaviors would be the equivalent of expecting someone who's been addicted to hardcore substances like heroin, crack, um, anything along those lines to be able to just wake up one day and be like, oh, okay, I'm clean now. I'm sober. I don't need any psychiatric help. I don't need any rehab. I don't need anything. Um, very rarely does that happen. So I wouldn't expect expect her to fix her problems, I would also, I would invite you, excuse me, to draw a line in the sand, right? When her problems start to negatively affect you and negatively impact you in your relationship, then it becomes more of a burden, right? And I've said this in shows past, I'll say it again, we are not responsible for our partner's happiness. We are responsible for our own happiness within the relationship and also outside of the relationship. So if she's expecting you to fix her problems and make her happy all the time, then that shows that she does not have the confidence in herself to do these things. And that could hinder you in the long run because she needs to realize that she's 100% in control of her behaviors. And if she does not kind of step up to the throne and take that mantle, it can definitely cause you a lot of stress and issues in, along the, in, the, in the long run, excuse me. So that's that's something you really want to sit down with and invite her to have a conversation about if the if the issues are not huge to the point where she may need mental health help. Question number four. What do you think is the best way to reduce youth homelessness? Once again, that question is, what do you think is the best way to reduce youth 
homelessness. I think education. Um, I'll, I'll always go back to education to reduce anything, to break any barriers, to end any type of oppression, poverty, all of that. I think education is the number one thing that that will allow people to see beyond their current circumstances. Um, I've said this on this show before. I'll say it again. I uh, actually Syracuse is still ranked um, top 10 in poverty. I grew up in Syracuse at a time where it was ranked top 10 in uh, one of the top 10 cities in the country um, in terms of poverty at about 50%. So 50% of the youth born in the city of Syracuse are born into poverty. And actually that number went up to 50.4 recently, which I saw that on someone's Facebook uh, timeline the other day. And I I felt sick to my stomach, frankly, because um, in my entire life, so I've been alive for 32 years, Syracuse has not gotten better in terms of poverty. In fact, it's gotten worse. So um, very, very disturbing stuff. And I think a lot of it ties into education. Once you tap into a poverty mindset and Please don't take this in a judgmental form in, in, in any way. I'm just going based off of my own life experiences, coupled with the research that I've, I've seen over the years when we talk about poverty. But when you grow up in poverty, your brain is, is extremely affected by the circumstances, right? So the death, the drugs, the, the pollution in the air, the low quality of life, all of these things negatively impact your brain and the way you think. So as you grow older, you don't necessarily, even when you become an adult, you don't necessarily shift from a poverty mindset unless you're educated on that, right? So that's my thing. I think education is the biggest key to, to ending youth homelessness, get them educated educated in terms of financial literacy, um, time management, prioritizing, understanding what's really important and what's not, right? Because when you grow up in the youth, as a youth, excuse me, with poverty mindset, like I did, for example, you tend to place value on things like clothing and televisions and like the the latest and greatest uh, gadget or device whereas now when I'm able to interact with people from higher middle class to higher class um, individuals all of these things that that we look at as um, advantages and as treasures in poverty they're not really treasures in the real world right in the real world people value stocks things that appreciate not vehicles that as soon as you drive off the lot they depreciate right so sorry i went on my little soapbox with that answer there but certainly education is the key to to developing our youth into kind of getting them out of the poverty mindset because if you stay in a poverty mindset you'll stay in an impoverished setting, right? So you'll be that that kid that's more concerned about finding out where the girls are or where the next uh, opportunity to drink or smoke is as opposed to finding out where you can budget and set, up, set yourself up for a home or an apartment. All right, now I'm going to give you guys a little insight from a former narcissist by answering your questions that center around narcissism. Question number one, why do narcissists believe their own lies and shift blame to the victims? Once again, that question is, why do narcissists believe their own lies and shift blame to the victim? I think that's how narcissists survive, right? We 
we as narcissists, I'm speaking, we get in situations in which we're uh, not looking to take accountability or responsibility for any of our actions. So any way we can flip the blame or shift the blame or find a way to make you feel like you're crazy or you're wrong in the situation, we're going to do it because that's what allows us to keep going and it enables us to continue on some of our narcissistic behavior. So if you're ever looking for a narcissist to admit that they're wrong and not shift blame to you, you're looking in the wrong direction and you're better off getting out of that relationship. Question number two, is narcissist rage dangerous? Once again, that question is, is narcissistic, excuse me, rage dangerous? Absolutely. 100%. Um, you got to look at what you're dealing with and look at the factors when you're talking about narcissistic rage. And one of the facts is you're, you're dealing with someone who's angry and does not want to take responsibility for their actions. For me, that's like throwing a log into a fire, right? If you continue to throw logs into a fire, eventually it will rise, rise and rise. It's not going to um, go down. So to answer your question, narcissistic rage is extremely dangerous. You're dealing with an individual who does not take accountability for their actions and refuses to take accountability for their actions. If they're explosive, they're the only person that that feels that rage or, or feels that pain, even if they tell you that they're sorry and they never meant to hurt you and all of these things. The, the person that typically feels that rage and that pain is the person that's in a relationship with a narcissist and they don't typically feel remorse for it. Right. Even if they say once again that they're sorry and they feel remorse, chances are they're not being truthful. They just want to keep you into their little loop there. And I also have to say this, I know you didn't say anything about it, but in full disclosure, I have to say this to anyone that brings up rage or domestic violence. Please, 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 if you are in a situation in which domestic violence is occurring, that can be either emotional abuse or physical abuse. Please find a way to get yourself out of that situation. I've seen it too many times. Women go back to men who are narcissistic and full of rage and it does not end well. Right. So if you're in a dangerous situation, be mindful of that and make sure you're taking the proper steps to remove yourself from that narcissistic rage. Question number three, when you break up with the narcissist, do they immediately start dating and having sex with someone else to make you jealous? Once again, that question is when you break up with the narcissist, do they immediately start having sex with someone else to make you jealous? I would say to an extent, yes, but it's, it's not necessarily to make you jealous. In all cases, there are, of course, some cases in which it is to make you jealous. But most of the time, uh, a narcissist, once they've broken up or it's it's called an um behavioral health terms once their feeder, which is the person that no longer feeds into their BS and feeds into their charm and personality. Once that person kind of awakens and realizes that this individual is a narcissist, the narcissist individual is just hopping onto the very next person that they believe will be a feeder. So it may appear that, okay, he's hopping, he or she, I should say, is hopping from relationship to relationship just to make me jealous or trying to have sex to throw things in my face. 
but I would invite you to shift your perspective and look at it as they don't, they no longer see you as a feeder and you've grown strong and you've grown accustomed to their BS and you've gotten to a point where you're willing to hold them accountable for their actions. So now it's like, holy crap, the, the curtain has been pulled back. It's been exposed. Let me hop to another feeder that does not know how I operate or does not know um, my narcissistic ways, right? So don't look at it and be jealous. Look at it as a, as a, a blessing um, that that person no longer looks at you as a feeder or as someone they can take advantage of. Question number four, is it a surefire sign of narcissists if someone repeatedly tells you how honest and truthful they are? Once again, is it a surefire sign of narcissist of a narcissist if someone repeatedly tells you how honest and truthful they are? I don't think so. I think you might be being a little too hyper vigilant in this situation. I also wouldn't just jump into a relationship with this person either, whether that's a, a romantic relationship or a professional relationship. Um, fill them out, right? If they if they keep telling you how honest and truthful they are, um, I would say that's a red flag that they may not be as honest and truthful as they say they are um, and start to look at some of their other behaviors. So we talked about I've talked about it in the past, but do they are they self-centered? Are they constantly talking about themselves? Are they trying to isolate you from your friend, family, support network, right? Are they trying to make themselves the center of your world? Those are the clear, surefire signs that that person is a narcissist or the age old one that I always go to or go for is does the conversation somehow always manage to get back to them and how great they are? Those are all my personal surefire signs that the person may be a narcissist. If they haven't displayed those signs yet, I would say that you're being a little hyper vigilant in regards to narcissism. And it could be either because you're reading a ton on it or you've had experience in the past with the narcissist. Either way, I would say hold off on the signs that you're seeing now and try to try to add a few more layers to it to determine if that person is a narcissist, because they might just be someone who's a liar and uh, is not truthful. Right. So they're saying that repeatedly because they aren't that. And that doesn't necessarily make them a narcissist, just makes them someone who's not truthful. Those are all the questions I have for you guys today. Remember, you guys are more than welcome to hit us up at TQLP20 at gmail.com with any questions that you guys have for our big Wednesday episodes, whether that's on narcissism, relationships, mental health, dating, whatever the case may be, please feel free to reach out to us and we'll be sure to answer your questions anonymously each and every Wednesday. And as always, guys, remember the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.